Well, good morning, and I do uh, thank you all for the wonderful invitation to come and share with you today. Uh, just a few moments ago, we sang hymn number 429, When We Walk With the Lord, and I'd like to go back and just read verse 1 to you, because maybe we could say that's the starting point, the foundation of where we're going. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. I wonder if we could take this hymn, which was written somewhere around the early 1900s, late 1800s, and project it back to the time of Samuel. And somebody was to take the the basic theme, and you had to modify the words to reflect what the people were saying at the time. Maybe it would read something like this. When we walk with the Lord and disregard his word, what a glory we miss along the way. And while we quite don't do his good will, while we fall short of doing his good will, somewheres out there he still abides with us. He hasn't totally given up on us. But for all those who will trust and obey, they'll come to understand and receive his glory. We usually talk about going into the scripture and doing a modern trajectory, and that's a a complicated word that just means we take a principle that comes out of antiquity, out of the scripture, and the scripture we know is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and reproof. We know that it is a book for all times, and the modern trajectory is How do we apply it to today's postmodern world? Well, we just took a little journey down going in the other direction. We can see in the scripture that we have the perfect will of God exposed. Exposed. And as a matter of fact, when we preach, that's what we're supposed to do is expose the scripture. Expound upon the scripture. Another funny word, exegete the scripture. Tell people what it says. And we go through all the joyous times and promises of the scripture. And yet we can come back and we can see the struggles that God's people went through when they did not obey his word. We can see that God is always there. He's he's sometimes, I, I do this analogy, I say that he keeps us on a string. He pulls us back when we go too far. But he lets us go on our own little journey for a while, for a season, and then he'll pull us back. Let's open the hymn book again and look at the words of 429. Verse 1. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, What a glory he sheds on our way. And while we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who would trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way. There is no other way for a Christian. If somebody wants that title, Christian, if they have that relationship, and Christianity is based in relationship, not organization, 
to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We can see that throughout church history, we've gone in cycles of trusting and obeying and seeing God bless the work of his people. And if we go back a thousand years, two thousand years, three thousand or four thousand, we can see where God's people maybe became too comfortable living under the promises of God. People that have even seen the miracles of God, experienced the miracles of God themselves. We take it for granted, we become comfortable and we forget about the fact that God is always there with us to trust and obey. He has made provisions for us and that we're to look for his will in Scripture. Now, I'll tell you a little secret, and uh, Kyung, don't bring this back to my presbytery, but sometimes, in the odd occasion when I am not preaching on a Sunday, and I'm typically almost every week in a different church, I will go to another church, and it doesn't always have the label Presbyterian. I went to a church that um, had a guest speaker. It was a woman preacher. And they did the obligatory reading of the scripture, and then I heard these words. But this is what I believe. Right after the reading of the scripture. The reading of the scripture, folks, that we attest, and this is one of the things I love about the Presbyterian church, we attest that the entirety of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, everything from page one to the end, is God's word, and it's true. But we live in a world today of postmodernism that can say, well, you know, you folks have your truth, but don't tread on my truth because there is no ultimate truth. Now, next year in Bendigo, I'm going to be teaching on postmodernism and how that philosophy comes about. But there are many people throughout history and even going back to the time of Samuel that would believe that the word of God revealed was, well, a little bit subjective, kind of take it or leave it, smorgasbord style, or while things are going well, we can ignore it. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Folks, unfortunately, we live in a uh, modern day, a, a time, an epoch, where the scripture has fallen into, in many cases, uh, disrepute. We have fallen into a time where people would say things like, I'm not going to talk about hell. It may be in scripture, but you know, it makes people feel bad. But it also talks about sin, and people would like to take the attitude that um, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anybody. I've never done any of the big ones. So I'm okay. And then we do these things like justifying, well, other people are doing this, so I can't be all that wrong. As a matter of fact, in the early part of the last century, there was an ideology, a teaching that came into the church, which has been labeled process theology, And it says that God changes with his people. 
And for the time of antiquity, at the time of Solomon, there were certain things that were cast in concrete. They were not to change. But as the people changed, God accepted the change, and it was all okay. And as we moved from a society where one would have to be married before they would think about procreating and living together, the same ideology, process theology, would say, well, God will change because now people are doing it, so it's okay. And as we heard in the time of prayer this morning, or announcements, when people start saying that homosexuality and maybe a marriage now could be between two women and two men, that same false teaching, that ideology that God will change with his people. That him was selected, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to be under his word. And I unashamedly say that as I travel around, I've just spoken, believe it or not, a Uniting Church affair, and I've taken a couple of services in Anglican churches, I unashamedly say that we adhere to this. This is our standard. There is nothing that comes before this in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the message today should be, I hope, is relevant to uh, every church in our land. Those that are vacant and those that have a full-time minister or maybe a ministry team. I'm going to speak for a short time, and for me doing something short is impossible, so um, Keong knows me, he's known me for years, he's smiling when I say that. I want to delve into the scripture with you and talk about leadership and be honest with you and say that it's something that's lacking in the churches today. I don't care what label you put out front, we're lacking in true leadership. Ministers in Protestant churches, many are just hanging on by a thread, and the reasons are many. We have an awful lot of people that are ready to burn out. And as a matter of fact, Dr. Roland Croucher, a Baptist minister who did his doctoral research in the area of ministers that were um, having issues in their church, he said that 50%, 50%, one out of two, will not make it to retirement. And many of them are so discouraged that they will leave the church, maybe not leave Christ, but leave the church as we know it. For some, it's an ordinary biological health issue. One man that I spoke to yesterday asked me, and I don't have permission to share his name, but God knows who he is. Pray for him. He's losing his eyesight. He's an ordained minister. He's a dynamic ordained minister within the Presbyterian Church. He gave me the technical explanation as to why he's losing his sight due to this rare disease. But it would be another one of our guys dropping out of ministry all too early. For some, it's family, but for many, maybe most, it's trying to meet the expectations of individuals, of congregations, and denominational structures that are wholly unrealistic and unfair. And it's one that has done a fair bit of research into why ministers and others burn out. I think that's the key, meeting expectations that we're not able to meet, that are not within our giftedness. 
You could see in the reading of Romans that we're all gifted differently. I believe that's one of the values in the church. When God calls people together from all different backgrounds and all different abilities, we can have a church because we don't have all Sunday school teachers. We don't have all bookkeepers on the board of management. We don't have all preachers. We have people coming together of all different backgrounds and abilities. Some of you heard the jokes about the ideal minister, someone with 20 years experience, but they're only in their mid-30s. And they have young children because that's going to be the secret to bringing people into the church. And the man who is equally suited for children's work as well as working with the elderly and the minister who would be uh, well-rested and, and at all times be at peak performance day and night, but yet he's got to be available 24-7. For every call. Most really don't understand true leadership, and a minister can be an under-shepherd, a person with human frailties. But it must be a man that is called by God and secondarily looking to God for his daily spiritual nourishment and direction. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. That hymn. It's a biblically-based hymn. It doesn't say, trust in your own intellect, trust in your own training, trust in your own wisdom. Trust and obey in the Lord Jesus Christ. A major direction or a theme for this morning is that God will provide unfailing leadership for his people when they desire to experience the blessings of God's will. And he will provide us with unfailing leadership. You know, often in a church, we say that we need a um, minister and we need somebody, as I just said, mid-30s, has children, um, great with people of all age backgrounds, can go out and do anything. Mr. Superman, you, you, you take his suit off and there's a big S on his chest. But do you know some of the recent work by the Christian Research Association, the Australian Christian Research Association, Dr. Philip Hughes, a good friend of mine, showed that in country parishes that uh, having a minister up front is in many cases a detriment. He said that the churches, he did most of his work in South Australia, but feels that it applies throughout the country. When the church can rally around and people develop and use their skills, that's usually the healthiest part in ministry. He said that he found many churches that were doing quite well before they had a minister. They got a minister. The minister came in and led, and led in a godly fashion. But the numbers went down because it disempowered some of the people in the church. Leadership, it doesn't have to come with the reverend in front of it. I want to call us above all else to keep our eyes and our hearts focused on the one who truly satisfies, the one who does lead, and to commit to doing what it takes to keep our focus there. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Our leadership comes from the Lord. And as soon as we start looking for men and women, for human elements to direct the leadership, our church is going to lose It's focus. When we study the word, we'll come to realize that God's word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we're going to see today how that happened 
and what was uh, said to a group of people about 3,000 years ago that it applies to us today. Samuel was a man dedicated to God from birth who served as a judge and not only to govern the people, but he spoke as a prophet to turn the hearts of the people to the Lord and he helped lead them to victory in battles with their enemies. We can pick up right after Samuel has given testimony to the integrity of his leadership and he begins to recount all the ways that God helped them. He's beginning to recount to the people the very things that they or their previous generation had witnessed. 1 Samuel 12, verse 12. (coughs) But when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, No, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. They already had one, but they forgot about it. Folks, that's one of the dangers in the churches today. We already have a supreme ruler. We already have a king. We already have the supreme leadership in the church, but we forget about it. We implement human ideas, and we go in other directions. Verse 13. Now here is the king that you've chosen, the one that you asked for, See, the Lord has set a king over you. You know, I think sometimes we can ask for something frequently enough that God just says, okay, fine, have your own way. Now, he doesn't take his hand off the situation. You want a king? You want to replace me as king? You want to put that kind of authority over yourself? You want to put that mediator, that buffer, that wall between us? Go ahead. You've got your king now. And verse 14, if you fear the Lord... And you serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands. And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, your God, then it's good. See those ifs? If you do this, if both you and your senior minister, the modern trajectory, the application today, If both you and your session members, every elder, every minister, obey him, obey God, and do not rebel against his commands, and if both of you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord, it's good. It's a team, isn't it? You, your minister, your elders, we're all here together on the same team. Verse 15, but if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against their fathers. Throughout the history, God had repeatedly helped his people. He often got into jams because of their unfaithfulness. But when they turned their back to God, things got worse. When they turned back to God, He was there to give them help in their time of need. Their memory of his help was often short-lived. For all of you that have done hospital visiting, if anybody (coughs) (coughs) has done hospital chaplaincy, uh, you would know this, and I'm sure um, Pastor Kyung could relate to some of this. The number of times I've been called out late at night to meet with a family or to meet with an individual that was in a hospital and there was a fear of death looming overhead and they were all too willing to listen to what you had to say. 
you'd go back and visit them and eventually they'd go home and you could do a follow-up and these same people, well, God did his job now. (laughs) Maybe they didn't say it in those words, but God did his job. I'm okay now. I don't need, I don't need this religion stuff anymore. Historical fact. We can go back and see through the Hebrew people and others throughout history. When things are well, we turn from him. When God's people become apathetic and no longer let their lives be salt and light unto the world, when they put other priorities ahead of him, we too could experience a time of alienation from our land. Today, because we've abdicated our role in society, we see Christianity, at least for a season, making less of an impact than it ought. I've said that before in this church when I have visited this church before. We have abdicated our role. We have abdicated the privilege that we have in society to other forces. And many of our churches have just retreated into almost a tribal mentality. This week I attended a meeting in one of our government offices. People were present from many organizations. There was an Orthodox priest. There were two Anglicans. One was an Anglican bishop. I was the token Presbyterian minister. There was a rabbi. There were a few Muslims. There were a couple of outspoken Hindus that kept trying to take over the uh, meeting, and the Buddhists, for the most part, sat silent. The focus of the meeting was government-sponsored, a way of imposing this on you, government-sponsored because we have not taken the role in society that we once had. How can we respect, love, and support people of all different faiths? And when I go out and speak in the Bible colleges and that about different religions, I always say love the people. You may not have any respect for the religion that they're promoting, but love the people. And it's through your relationship with the person and your ability to expound upon the scripture that they may come to know the truth and be saved. They tried to work through the question, how can we respect, love, and support people of all different faiths? The underlying message was what the Hindus (coughs) say, the Buddhists, the Muslims, it's all on equal par. There's no difference between Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, and others. It's all on an equal playing field. Now, I never want you to vilify anyone because they're different from you. But endorsing their aberrant beliefs is not being kind to them if we believe that Jesus is the only way. Scripture says, Jesus tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father except by me. I was so concerned about this, I went to the uh, head of the government department that is responsible for the uh, racial and religious tolerance bill, and two of us now have an appointment to go and meet with her. I'd ask for you to pray uh, about this. We don't have the date set in stone, but it'll be over the next few weeks, because they said, well, we're going to use common sense in how we bring people up on charges. If I get up, you know, it's feelings. It's feelings. It's, if I say something, Jesus is the only way. There is no other way to, no other path to salvation, and they're offended, then I'm guilty. I'm guilty of offending or making them feel hurt, making them feel threatened, making them feel vilified. 
Now, if I say it with the full weight of the denomination that I'm a part of, I can still be considered a villain because of how I made the person feel. So pray for us as we go to this government office because I want to know who makes the decision whether there was intent. They said that the key is that I intend to make them feel vilified. So uh, that debate will be going on. I'm going to very briefly um, quote a survey by J. Dudley Woodbury, professor of Islamic studies in School of Intercultural Studies for Fuller Theological Seminary, Pasadena, California. Forget about all those titles. Important researcher from Big Known School. His research noted that although the number of new Christians each year is a little bit larger than the number of new Muslims, he said the annual growth, the reason that we're growing more Christians is simply because the Muslims at this point in time do not have the large numbers that people that profess to be Christians have. Look at our census, it's something like 64%. In reality, it might be 15 or 20% for true born-again believers. But as the birth rate and the immigration rate increases, we are going to see Christianity mar- marginalized. In favor of Christianity, many converts were attracted to the assurance of salvation and forgiveness. That's a major message that we bring out in our evangelistic work. In Islam, God forgives and punishes whoever he will. So Muslims have no certainty of salvation. As a matter of fact, there is no other religious body, no other major religious uh, ideology where people have that assurance positive assurance of salvation. Well, leadership, we need leaders. Back to our scripture, Israel's problem was rejecting God as their leader. We can see that in uh, 1 Samuel 12, 6 through 13. Israel had a choice and we have a choice. They They could devote themselves to God's leadership. We can see that in verse 14, or they could rebel against God's leadership. That's the only choice we have, obey or disobey. God desires to be the leader of his people and all those imperfect and sinful sheep. That's us. He calls back to the flock. And in all generations, he's been faithful in leading those committed to him, regardless of the circumstances. We have the same choice, devote ourselves to him or rebel. The Western Church, the Presbyterian Church, I believe it's at a pivotal point in history. And I think it's a pivotal point where we have to see the church totally revitalized. Where does our confidence lie? Where is our hope? For Israel, it was in a man, a king like everybody else. He will take care of us, lead us into victory, and he'll be like, we might say today, we'll be like other churches. We'll get our full-time man who'll lead us into victory. In case we don't know it yet, humans will always be prone to failure, inadequacy, and disappoint us. The future of the Presbyterian Church of Victoria does not depend on having a new preacher. It doesn't depend on new buildings. I had a church recently tell me if you just pay for us building a new building, that'll restore the church. That'll bring people. That'll that'll fix the problem. It doesn't depend, the future of the church doesn't depend on the 
quantity of the elders. I've heard some churches say, well, we're dwindling in numbers. What we've got to do is just appoint more elders and everything will be fixed. The future of our church depends on one thing, and that's God and our relationship with him. 1 Samuel 12, verse 9, but they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hands of Caesarea. If we forget the Lord our God, we'll be sold out to the racial and religious tolerance acts, we'll become more and more marginalized, and it could be, as some predict, that practicing Christianity to the fullest may be an illegal activity at some point in the future. As a Western church, have we called out to the Lord and acknowledged that we've all sinned, that we've drifted away from him and from godly priorities and from complete devotion to him? He doesn't want partial devotion. He wants complete devotion. Very quickly, the New Testament reading that we had read to us already. For the grace given to me, I say that every one of you do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ (coughs) we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him do it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve it. If it is teaching, let him teach. If encouraging, let him or her encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let them give generously. If it is leadership, let them govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let them do it cheerfully. You know, another thing we do in many of our churches is people take on roles and nobody else gets a chance to function in those roles and we may be suppressing the ability of that person to exercise and grow in their gifts. And elders, those of you that are elders, have been elders and will be elders in the future, do you know what one of your prime responsibilities is? Not to be exclusive to this, but one of your prime responsibilities is to get to know the people that you're responsible for so well that you can help them discover their gifts. And when you see that spark in that life, you discover that gift, what are you going to do to sacrifice, to disciple them, to bring them along, or to bring them to a point where that gift can be nurtured? Sometimes it may even be sending them off to another church in another area. But to nurture the gifts of those that you're responsible for. Discover and nurture. I'm going to close just because of time. I could go on for about two hours on this subject. I want to say a leader is a person of integrity. Integrity means that you have the same person in private than you do in public. When you call somebody to this church or when somebody's appointed here, you've got to make sure that the person standing in the pulpit is the same 24 hours a day. That he's not standing up doing a performance. That he's honest about himself 
honest about his background, honest about his limitations and his frailties. You know, one of the questions when we're interviewing people for pastoral positions is not only to identify your strengths, but to identify your weaknesses. And when we have people that say, I have no weaknesses, or they can't identify them, they're not ready for ministry because they have not. They have not come to the reality of who they are yet, knowing themselves. A leader is someone who, first of all, has become a follower. They have to know how to follow first. Because we're all just in a long line of leaders and people doing different functions in the church. And if they can't follow, they have no idea how to lead. A leader is a person of vision. I've known Kyung for many years. And I, I love the visions that he has. And some of the best times I've had is maybe sitting in his house or at other venues and talking about a vision for the church. You know, when somebody has a strong vision, when a pastor has a strong vision, it's contagious. Other people catch it. And if you're going to lead, you have a plan. I can't tell you how many people have come to our committee, the Ministry Development Committee, and said something like, we want you to build the church, we want you to do this, we want you to uh, uh, bring us up into, uh, you know, the pinnacle of uh, churches for a community here. And I said, well, how do you expect us to do that? And they, no plan, no vision, no ideas. How about we start, and this is where I start with them, I'll go in and I'll do a six-week Bible study on prayer. Isn't that the foundation? We establish a scripture and prayer to see where God wants us to go. And a leader is an initiator, an innovator, and a motivator. Can somebody be a leader without being a motivator and an encourager? I doubt it. They can be a manager, but they can't be a leader. Leadership in the church starts with the scripture, trusting, affirming, that this is the word of God, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Jesus, pray, lead, seek the people that God has already appointed. You know, when I go into a church and I speak before they have eldership uh, elections, I always say this, and if you've heard me say this in this church before, then just take this as me rambling on and repeating. You don't make an elder. No church makes an elder. Only God can make an elder. That's his prerogative alone. The only role that you have is to look around amongst the members and see who is already willing to lead in Bible studies, who is already able to defend the faith, who is already not only able and eager but doing it, praying for those that are sick, encouraging people and standing alongside them. They're co-under-shepherds with the minister. It's not a management position. It's a servanthood position. Look around and see who is already doing the job from a biblical perspective. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we uh, thank you that you've given us the perfect gift of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll daily work in and through us to continually mold us into the people that you want us to be. 
if you've called anyone here in this congregation to lead, then so be it. Have the congregation recognize it. Have us sacrificially lead through love. And if you've not called us to be leaders, teach us to pray, to support, and to respect those who you have called to lead. Lord, reveal to each one of us the gifts and the role that you have for us personally. Make us faithful and have each one of us grow into the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.